Welcome to Buzz British Book Club. I'm Kit. I'm Bridge. Today we're going to get Buzz and talk about books. Okay, today's Buzz Juice is La Marca Prosecco and it's from Italy and we thought like something of the sparkling wine variety would go well with the book we're reading today. So we've enjoyed uh, a couple of glasses already. We're ready to get started. I think this is my third glass. Is this my yeah, third th- glass or my second glass? It, I think it's your third. <laughs> um, and the danger today is we're doing this via Zoom because we have busy schedules. Yes. And... <laughs> So we, so all, we, each, we have a whole bottle each. We have, each have our own <laughs> bottle and there's there's no telling where this is going to go today. None. And it's pretty tasty. I think, uh, so I bought my bottle at Kroger. I don't know where you got yours, but it was about $13. Yeah, that sounds right. I think I got mine at Sprouts because they, they do that thing that's like 10% or 50 by four bottles of wine. And I... Nice. <laughs> I was like, it's it's the season. I'm definitely wine. I need to yes. stock up. <laughs> so when I found my bottle, there was a couple versions of this one, so, and I got the blue label. Yeah, mine mine as well. So we got the same kind, which is good. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, today we're talking about red, white, and royal blue, which is a um, gay rom com. Um, it's about a the first son of the president of the United States named Alex and the heir to the throne of England. His name is Henry. They start out as frenemies. They hate each other. And then through some shenanigans, they're kind of forced into this fake friendship that buds into something romantic. And they realize they're the ones for each other. So spoiler alert. Uh, I feel like if you see the <laughs> cover, you should know that already. But that's basically the summary. The, um, the cover gives me rom-com vibes, but the book is steamy. It so is steamy. so steamy. I never knew that I needed gay romance erotica in my life until I just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I mean, need this in my life now. Same, this is honestly, amazing. The the descriptions. I'm not. Uh, I'm trying not to turn too red talking about this. <laughs> um, it's very graphic. I wouldn't say graphic, but it does get in there. I mean, it's it, not like... Yeah, it gets in there, eh? Yeah. <laughs> it definitely gets in there. That's but... one way to say it. <laughs> but um, but it does it in a way that's, um, that I liked. Yeah, it was. It, it's just like you said. I didn't know I needed it, and I definitely needed it. I enjoyed it so much. I definitely needed, like, a nice ice bath plunge or shower (laughs) afterwards because wow there were some moments yes it was great like there's a lot of different kinds of romance books like you have like the subtle nice ones and like the fade to black ones and like then you have like Amish romance ones and then you have like erotica and you have like Like nasty shit like 50 shades of gray or whatever and this one was like very nicely in between like there was enough graphic 
to get a clear visual of everything happening and to like imagine it and like but a it was nice very, romantic like, way poetic. but it was very poetic like the yeah. author did such a good job with these scenes and I'm, I have read some horrible sex scenes let me tell you I'm <laughs> sure you got treated ones. to some in, in the writers critique group too <laughs> oh so actually I haven't had a whole lot of sex scenes in the writers critique group to be honest I think because people, people are less willing to share those yeah. yeah people are less willing to share those than other things but um but these were very tasteful I think they were very well done. They were very steamy. And um, yeah, I just need more of it in my yeah, life. Yeah, I, I was intrigued. <laughs> I was very intrigued because, like I was saying, the cover gave me YA rom-com vibes. But it was very much not YA. And in when I was doing my research, I discovered Casey McQuiston, the author, is part of a new genre um, that's called new adult fiction and it's targeted is that to... a new genre yeah relatively new a... <clears throat> I thought that one had been around for a bit but people were like not really willing to recognize it because it's too well, maybe much it's like young popular. adult and too maybe much like adult now maybe it is yeah it's definitely out there there's a lot of people that want to ignore its existence also, I'm pouring myself another glass. I don't know where you're at. <laughs> I did already. So you got to keep up. Wait, you yeah. did already win. Just a moment ago, yeah. Oh, I you think did. We're on, we're on par. Yeah. Okay, you These got to tell me when are you small. <laughs> they are small. I have a champagne flute, and she has a. I don't know what that thing is, but it's, it's also like small. a mini mini wine glass. I don't know. I don't. Nothing have like the cabernet glasses that we had. No, no, <laughs> that were enormous. <laughs> enormous so, so, so this genre is targeted for 18 to 29 year olds and oh, they okay. tend to focus on developing sexuality which this definitely falls into that definitely. career and education choices mm-hmm. same and also leaving home um, oh wow so I, I spot on that all was of quite that cool yeah all of those things were covered here and casey mcquiston's book falls solidly in in that so i think this book is you know one of the prime examples of that new genre and something mm-hmm. that i thought was great for context about the story was that casey is non-binary and identifies as non-binary and queer so they use they them pronouns and they talk about their mental mental health quite a lot which i love mm-hmm. and um you can see that in the story too there are moments where there's talk about anxiety and stress and depression and things like that and so Anger. i really liked yeah i really liked the, those themes and i also liked the tie to texas and yeah. the authors from baton rouge louisiana so not exactly texas but you know adjacent southern they're, states they're aware of the, the struggles of being from the south things like that so um i really like just understanding that context about the author um because i think it grounds the story a little bit more yeah i think that's a really great point because i think for the target reader age group 
for new adults this these are things that we're all dealing with well I'm not so I'm not in this age group anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, I'm well beyond I, this age group I am beyond this age group now um maybe I'm just behind in my mental development then <laughs> still dealing with those things in my life um but yeah I think that's great um to have a book like this that addresses those things because it's very fundamental to that age group and beyond um you know but... what this book feels like to me it feels like a fan fiction fever dream does it feel that way to you a little bit yeah, yeah. I just mean like I don't think I feel like most authors shy away from writing about such high profile personas because it is such a big challenge to capture the reality of that um so that's why it feels a bit like fan fiction um but I loved it I mean it was so it dealt with such heavy themes but it it had such light-hearted elements to it I mean I was I was sending kit messages last I think it was last night as I was like rereading it I was like, it's so funny. The banter is amazing. It was my like one of my favorite parts. I might be getting ahead of myself, but but just like the dialogue was like one of my favorite things. The dialogue was funny. So I actually listened to the audiobook. So mm. every I try once a month to take a long drive to go see my grandma. And I usually pick an audiobook to listen to on my drive. It's about a seven and a half eight nine hour drive something like that so I listened to this book um on one of those drives and the audio narrator um did a really fun job with the accents this okay. is one of the huge benefits of audiobooks it's because if you get a good narrator they they put the accents in there and I loved it. So although I will say Alex was really whiny. Like he uh, made Alex this whiny, kind of annoying frat boy type. Ugh, um, I don't like that. That's I not did, how I was, imagined him at all. I, I I wish I could imagine him a different way now, but I just can't. That was the only drawback to this audiobook. But Henry was amazing. The accents with the mother, uh, Madam President, was hilarious. The high school friend was so funny. Liam? Henry was great. What was the name? Liam. Liam was that the high school friend? Yeah. Yeah. Um, his accent was like super thick George Bush Texan. It was <laughs> great. It was so funny. Um. So anyway. So the accents were great. So if you enjoy accents and, you know, that I, I recommend the audiobook. Alex was a little whiny. It got tolerable after a bit, but he was a little bit whiny. Other than that, though, the, the voiceovers were great. Yeah, I mean, I was just hearing it in my head because I just read the traditional book and I was hearing it in my head and I was like, these kids are so smart and like, hysterical they've got amazing wit and I feel like British people say bants when they mean banter they're like they've got you know that person has bants <laughs> and they just like can you know have the smoothest like quips back and forth and it's so funny 
Um, and I'm really excited because they're making it into a movie. Yes, I think I it's a, a movie and not a TV series, but on Amazon Prime. And I'm excited. Uma Thurman is the mum. That's hilarious. She's the president. Um, Although and... I did imagine her as a brunette. So that's interesting. I wonder if they'll... I think she had strawberry blonde hair, if I remember. Did she? That's weird. I must have missed that on the audio book because I swear I imagined her as a brunette. A str- I can yeah. totally I... have that wrong. Yeah, so like <clears throat> the the author, Casey did an amazing job of like writing these descriptors like short descriptors of each character and I loved them so much and the one for um Ellen Claremont Diaz which is the mom who is president and over the course of this book is seeking re-election her description is a strawberry blonde whip smart democrat with high heels an unapologetic draw and a little biracial family the drawl was hilarious in the audiobook, by the way. Oh, God, I can only <laughs> it was imagine. Great. I hope Uma Thurman can do that justice. I don't think of her when I think of, like, southern draw accents. I bet she can. She's an amazing actress. She'll... She, other than that, she look, She seems like the perfect yeah. choice for the role. Yeah, I can see that in my head. That would be great. I've also seen the actors they've chosen for Henry and Alex, and Mm -hmm. I think they're great. Oh, my God. I think they're great. So I don't remember their names, of course. I don't either, but um, I saw their pictures and they looked... (laughs) They look perfect because Alex is supposed to be not super tall, but relatively, and he's got these lovely dark curls. Yeah, which they describe in the book quite a lot. And um, actually, his description, I'll just read what I wrote for him. Um, there's a bit where they describe him as slightly overserved, but still handsome, all jawline and dark curls. And I was like, that is a lovely description. And then um, for Henry, <laughs> this is before <laughs> Alex starts to like him. He describes him as stuck-up product of inbreeding who probably jerks off to photos of himself. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Oh, God. So I guess we just jump right into kind of the story since we're getting there anyways. Um, So it starts off, as as Kit alluded to, um, it's all, all from Alex's perspective. Mm-hmm. and um he hates um prince henry who incidentally is the second son so prince philip is okay so i wanted to talk about that because the yeah. prince of wales is the first in line for the throne and henry is the younger son so prince philip is the one that should be technically the prince of wales correct because philip is philip the one in line for the throne or is henry the one in line for the throne so it's Philip. I was confused about that. Philip, because um Prince Philip just got married in the beginning. That's the very beginning of the book. And Alex has to go to the wedding. Right. He hates Henry and he goes to talk to him and ends up like drunkenly falling into a $75,000 cake. Yes, which is hilarious. <laughs> which is a huge scandal. But um, but yeah, I 
I don't know. I wasn't paying super attention to the titles, but I think you're right. Because the only reason I know is because of all the stuff happening with Henry, or Harry, yeah. and Meghan right now. And so I think they should be the Cambridges. I think Henry, because the Prince of Wales is the next in line. Yeah, because throw. um, because so before be he, before Queen Elizabeth died, um, King Charles was Prince Charles. Of Wales. Of Wales, correct. Yeah. And I think now that he's king, um, William uh, is, William Prince, is the of Wales. Prince of Wales. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah. I don't know, but I definitely thought the only reason why he was ever going to get away with the life he wanted was because he's second in line to the throne. That's what I thought too. So, I was a little bit confused on that. So, maybe that's just a little bit of research that the author maybe didn't. Do. Or maybe we completely, or maybe, maybe we just remember it wrong. But I could have swore that Philip was the oldest. Yeah, I mean, I think um, maybe there was something like his title just changed or something because he got married. Maybe. I d- I don't know. I don't um, know I'm either. certainly not an expert, and that stuff is really confusing and complicated. <laughs> it's it's really convoluted, definitely. Yeah. Well, so um, I guess. You know, he hates the Prince of Wales, who correctly or incorrectly, we don't know, is right. Is it's uh, the Prince of Wales Henry. in the book. So. Yeah. <laughs> so Henry, who's just like beautiful and whatever, like perfect. Tall. Tall, blonde. Super tall. Yeah. Um, and then his brother, who is described as extremely nondescript, which I thought was so funny. <laughs> Um, and then he's got, I think, an older sister. I think his sister is older than Alex. Him. No, um, Prince Henry has an yeah, older sister. Yeah, she, yeah. Beatrice they both have B. an older B. sister. Yeah, and B was um is a recovering addict. Um, she got into I think she was using like cocaine. Coke. And yeah. They were they called her the powder princess. Um <laughs> she was quite cool. Horrible. I think um so anyway that's that's sort of the royal family that he's dealing with alex's and then alex you know falls into this cake it's this whole scandal and one of their handlers i guess the deputy chief of staff is zara is that yeah is that how it was pronounced the girl. In the audiobook? zara yeah yeah mm-hmm. so she does not put up with shit from anybody. Mm-hmm. She is terrifying. And I'm excited to see how she's characterized in the movie. Um, but basically, like, Alex wakes up post the scandal and she, like, rips him a new one and basically creates this whole PR scenario where they're going to have, like, forced fun together where they mm-hmm. have to be photographed and you know, act like they're best friends and whatnot because as a result of this cake smashing, everyone thinks there's this huge feud between the two of them, which there was low-key. Low-key. But not like a real overt sort of tension between them. So let's back up to that, Um, their their backstory. So Henry and Alex have this hate relationship because during the 2012... I thought it was the 2016 Rio, Olympics. Rio Olympics? Yeah. At some point when they were younger, 
they went to an Olympics. They were both at the Olympics event. And Alex walks up to Henry to, mm -hmm. to introduce himself. And Henry just like turns away to his handler and says, get rid of it. And just this cold, horrible way. And Alex, from that point forward, is like, Henry's this asshole. He's this stuck-up snob. He's this jerk. You know, I was just trying to be friendly. And he just totally pretended like I was less than a cockroach. Like, fuck. Fuck Henry. Yeah. You and, know? And, and so over the course of the story, we learn that prior to that interaction, he had one of those... Um, he well, just I lost his... his father like a couple weeks prior to that so he was dealing with that grief and that anguish and that like who the fuck am I now like that sorrow you know and that mm -hmm. kind of not excusing the way that he treated Alex but he was in a very bad mental place during those Olympics and that's brought out in the book to kind yeah. of you know explain yeah, his, that but that's where that animosity started was that his, olympics right and his dad as you're talking about his dad his dad was an uh an actor who was well known for his role as james bond Henry. so obviously his dad yeah yeah okay his dad was james bond um and obviously a fictionalized version of mm -hmm. you know kind of a an English bloke who's an actor and quite famous so not not a real person obviously none of these people are real people but um there are you know some close similarities so you could imagine like Sean Connery or something like that like a person yeah. like that like quite cool um who falls in love with the queen's daughter and they get married and they have these children that are just like beautiful but also a hot mess and then he dies Which that's cause... hanging over him too, that history of a royal family member choosing somebody who's quote unquote beneath them mm -hmm. as a spouse. So mm -hmm. that's um part of Henry's hang up too yeah. in the book. And the, the other thing I was gonna add to sort of the context of that interaction is Alex has a crush on Henry from the beginning. Because right, which he refuses to acknowledge. <laughs> he does not acknowledge it, but over the course of like it's sort of unfolding or blossoming or however you want to phrase it, um, he recollects back in the day, June, his sister, his Alex's older sister, um, has one of those like teen beat, 17, whatever, tiger beat, I don't know, all those like cringy teenage magazines. And um, and it had like I think it was a People magazine or something. That too, sure. It had one of those uh, centerfolds that you could pull out and hang on your wall um, of Henry. And there were these moments where Alex would go back, sneak it out of his his sister's room, and like just touch the photo's hair, <laughs> just like longingly, you know, touching his hair. And so you would imagine he's got this huge crush, but he's not acknowledged it, but he's got all this sort of anxiety towards meeting him in the flesh. Right. This was when he was like 12 or something, right? Yeah. And he yeah. Goes, goes to meet him at the, the Olympics and he gets shut down like that. So it really hurt him. So he just decided he's shit. Like, I hate him. And, mm -hmm. you know, he's the bane of my existence. And so he's sort of thrown him 
um aside yeah so that definitely <laughs> ruined the entire thing for alex Absolutely. Yeah, it did. And incidentally, I just pulled myself another mini glass. Oh, so I don't know what we're on, but I have a feeling I'm going to drink this whole bottle and I'm going to regret it. This is how much I got left. Hold on. You can't see it, but this is what I got left in mine. I got, it's like right there. We're probably going to end up drinking this whole fucking bottle. I know. I mean, <laughs> what you can't, you can't just read, put the cork in Prosecco. It's going to be so you're right you can't put the cork back in champagne it's impossible no and it'll go flat so you'll just end up pouring out the rest of the bottle right so we gotta drink it oh god (laughs) this is this is how alcoholism starts (laughs) so basically we're talking about all the backstory that leads up to alex getting sort of shunted to the side and get his feelings hurt and it's the spark for this sort of feud between the two and um and then they fall into the cake together and then <laughs> and then zara has to basically outline this strategy to get them together to fake a friendship and right. that means that um alex has to go over to the uk to go to like i think it was like a polo match and something doing- like that it was something very british mm-hmm. very british and then like you know they sort of fake it and then at the end of the that weekend i think it was a weekend um alex just says here take my phone number it's going to be easier for us to interact via text rather than through our handlers um and then that starts this trajectory of them starting to become friends and then growing into more and the i mean i cannot say enough about some of this banter oh it's my favorite um when the white house trio which i know you want to talk about them too at some point um so it's june alex's older sister alex and then nora who is the granddaughter of the vice president they're the White House trio, and they're like friends. And Alex dated Nora for a little while. And I think Nora is like bisexual, um, and she's very cool. June is no, well, June might be as well, but but um, Nora is is bisexual. She she went like she and Alex were together for a while, and then they started faking like sexual interludes in in hotels for the press. Um, but I think she's also, you know, dated some girls as well. So I was confused about the trio because Alex and Nora used to be a legitimate item in the yeah. book. But I didn't know why she was always in the White House with them because she had her own room in the White House. And I don't know if the audiobook just went, they just skipped over it. But I don't like, think, how I don't the think fuck she was had she related a room. to that? No, she had a room. She had a room in the White House. I'm I thought she had her own sure. apartment and they went to her apartment for that one bit where she was like hiding. Um, because she, I wouldn't thought have been she, had in a... the, she wouldn't have been in the White House because she's a granddaughter of the vice what? president. So that's what I thought. I was like, how the fuck is she related to them? Why is he fucking someone he's related to? 
And why is she part of the White House trio? Why do they call her? She's not her? related to why? them. But, but like, why was she always on Air Force One with them? That's what I wanted to know. If she wasn't part of the White House staff and she wasn't part of the family and she wasn't, like, whatever, then, like, why did she always automatically have a place on Air Force One wherever think, they went? I was I really she, confused about it. I think she was going to school in D.C., and so she just happened to be around a lot. I mean, um, there's lots of people that go to school in D.C., and their parents are somewhere. Yeah, but if, if your grandparent is the vice president, I would imagine you could come and go in the White is House. Is that what it was? Her grandparent was the vice president? Yeah. Yeah, oh. she's the granddaughter of the vice president. Okay, somehow in the audiobook that got skimmed over. Or I was like trying to find the right turn or something, and I totally missed that because I was <laughs> really confused. The whole book, how Nora was allowed to just come and go as she pleased. Yeah, I mean, so you know, granddaughter of the vice president, and I think she may have worked on the campaign because she was like she an anal- analytics yeah. person, so that's probably why she was around. Um, and they dated while they were on the campaign and sort of phrased it as like getting over with the inevitable. And then yeah. it sort of fizzled out and um they were now, just friends. Now they're just friends. And, and they like to fuck with the press. Like Yeah, make, they'd they'd go they'd to make the a press... hotel room and just like make moaning noises and squeak right. on the bed. Yeah, yeah, just to get the press all worked up. And I thought that was a funny theme throughout the entire book, actually, was how they manipulated the press to do what they wanted, you know. Yeah. They I say mean, like a picture is like like the truth is in a picture or whatever. But like there's so many moments in this book where they use the example of a photograph that looks like something that's totally the opposite and you know like the irony of like elections uh just in general brought brought that to my attention you know I don't I don't want to get political or anything but I don't know if you remember all the pictures of like Biden smelling people's hair yeah (laughs) I thought about that when I was reading these like moments in this book about the pictures yeah, like it I just mean, totally meant something opposite. And I, I feel like like when you said like at the beginning of this episode that this was like a fan fiction, there's so many moments in here where it's like taking legitimate American politics during the election cycle and like spinning it on its head and like making fun of it in a way. And it's hilarious. I love it. Lot it was of- funny. Yeah, it was a lot of truth throughout, which is why I think it works, because this world in which the story is being told, there's no Trump, Mm-mm. which, you know, given given their background, you can imagine the political leanings of the author. So right, yeah, they, yeah. They probably wanted to imagine a world without that, you know, impact. A woman or did win in 26. 2020 yeah so yeah it was 2016 (laughs) when when alex's mom was first elected so it was right right after obama yeah um, elected a woman and Mm -hmm. and then during the course of this this time frame of the story which is 2019 2020 right uh, going on a re-election campaign um 
so it's kind of interesting because it's like an alternate reality that what could have been and what could have been had we not had covid yeah I, I very much prefer this storyline to our actual <laughs> storyline so i don't know if we can go back and try it again but i know right can we go back in time and try it again <laughs> but i i did i did like what you said about using the press because and you also mentioned harry and megan because the um documentary has has come out recently and they talk about the press so much and harry explains how the actual harry not henry in this book um explains how the different press offices in the different palaces have uh, relationships with the um tabloids or the um different newspapers in um london and he describes it as a symbiotic relationship and basically all the royals are served up since you're funded by the press you have deserve no privacy or i guess privacy is how british people would say it um and so you kind of see elements of that in in how this is the story is told um as as kit was mentioning like using photos to misconstrue things or um direct the press in a different direction um so it's really really interesting um because i i feel like i've learned a lot about the press in england from the crown and from harry and Meghan, and it is just wild how they behave and how there's basically no um and to what they'll do to get a scoop or a story, and including put, putting people's lives at risk. Um, and I don't want to really go down that rabbit hole and talk about Diana, but... I was about uh, to say, that was yeah. immediately what came to my mind. Really interesting how they use the press in this book. Um, once Henry and Alex admit feelings for each other and all that, and we're probably skipping some stuff, but, um, you know, like how they manipulate the press, because, you know, the press is always there, but they're always snapping photos and there's always something leaking that looks damning, but then like they play it off like, Oh, we're just having a bro moment or whatever, you know? And it's, it just furthers that agenda. And like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting how they kind of work around that and yeah. like manipulate that to their advantage in I a lot of times. So, so June, Alex's sister is, um, actually writes for a newspaper I forget which one and they don't often let her write big pieces because of her you know because she's the daughter of the daughter president, of the president so right. her her whole career is kind of messed up because of that and which is interesting since this is a new adult and you brought out that new adult genre tries to focus on like career and professional growth and whatever mm-hmm. like that was a big part of the story especially with June and her position as you know daughter of the president how her prospects were like fucked basically because yeah because nobody president nobody could trust that she was going to write anything from an objective point of view right yeah i do think the way she was portrayed it was like she was brilliant and um had the capabilities to probably use her connections to write stories that would cast a light on things in a meaningful way so it's kind of sad that she was being um, prevented from pursuing that because of who she was but one thing about June's character that I thought was kind of funny and I wanted to get your input on was um, she read the 
People magazine. She read all the magazines and tabloids and kept up with sort of the phrase, the saying goes like, your press clippings. Uh-huh. She'd like bring a stack of magazines into their room with Alex and just start flipping through them just to keep tabs on what was going on in terms of what the press knew. And I, I just wondered, and it's probably impossible to know for real, but if you were famous or something, you know, just imagine like you get a book deal and suddenly like everyone knows who you are and you're just like out there in the world and people are obsessed with you. Would you as a dream it? come true? <laughs> <laughs> would you would you pick up People magazine to read about oh, yourself? Definitely. Definitely. One hundred percent. One hundred and two hundred percent. I I couldn't help myself. Like if if the book I'm writing right now suddenly went viral and was like the next Twilight or whatever, and people were talking about me left and right, I there's no way I couldn't avoid it that's just not you know would you actively go out and buy them and read them yeah I think definitely I would keep them for a scrapbook hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) well I think hopefully they probably in the beginning you've got to take the negative with the positive you know I think you just you'd learn that they're publishing so many lies Oh, you finished another glass. Okay, are we pouring another one? I'm okay. drinking the super fast. Are oh, you oh, done? God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, maybe I should drink some water. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, take a few sips of water. See, take every time I pour a glass, it fizzes up so much that there's hardly any actual so prosecco. That's really dangerous because I keep thinking that and like excusing the amount I'm drinking. I'm going to need a nap after this. For sure. I'm, oh my God. But what I was going to say about the magazines is like, I think honestly, I would do that too, you know, in the beginning. I think after a while, the novelty would wear off. Like if you're a public figure yeah, and it's a normal thing, that. you're going to do it at first because it's like, ooh, this is exciting. And people want to know about me. But then over time, I can only imagine you'd be incensed by how many lies they actually publish or misconceptions or misunderstandings or stupidity that they publish about you and there's no way you're going to be able to correct it all so yeah so like I really think that depends on the person you know like how public they are as a figure in general so like for the book's example you know the White House trio or whatever or Prince Henry they're in the public spotlight no matter what you know like they're always going to be a topic of discussion and there's always going to be political whatever hanging over their heads. So they're always going to be in the tabloids, even if they don't do anything scandalous or whatever. As a normal bloke, I don't know if I would really... (laughs) You're not a bloke, but, you know, normal Bloke, blokes. Bloquette. Um, a bloquette. <laughs> what is the female version of bloke? I think bloquette is pretty. I don't know. I like that one, bloquette. So as a normal bloquette, I don't think that <laughs> that the tabloids <laughs> would blow up too much. You know, 
Uh, no. I'm, yeah, I'm just an ordinary person. Whereas certainly in the book... not for like authors, unless you're J.K. Rowling or something, right. and you make right. really bad comments on Twitter, and then everybody hates you. Yeah, yeah. I think we all struggle with cancel cancel culture. Yeah, and that's fair to say because there are certainly elements about her creations that I am obsessed with, and you know, I've got a Harry Potter tattoo on my arm you know (laughs) so like there's got to be some gray areas I don't think everyone everything needs to be so black and white but I think the important thing to remember is that she's a human like all of us yeah that's that's basically the bottom yeah let's move on from that (laughs) (laughs) I think um going back to the book and and so many things I love about it but I love that it's a female president. I love that she's divorced. I love that. Um... I had some. I was confused about that because Oscar, which is his father, yeah, yeah, plays a significant role. But was she remarried? Mm-hmm. Okay, Leo. She was. Leo was a sort of Leo. Okay, he plain... like almost never does anything no. in the book, and I was he's, like, does this? He's my exist? ideal. He's my ideal of, of the perfect male. He brings money. He shuts up. He's he's agreeable. He's never there. <laughs> he's never there. No, there were moments where he was there and he was just like quite supportive and chill. But I he was almost, very much like was, a secondary character. I almost wish the author had spent a little bit more time with him because I was really confused who he was or there were like, a lot of characters that played a role like a large he almost story. he I, I think maybe he had four sentences in the entire book yeah and that's it and, and Oscar, honestly honestly I, like i don't think his mom um ellen had a lot of interactions with him either she didn't but that kind of played into the plot of like being the first family and kind of being second to the presidency and kind sure. of being put on the back burner, which I thought was really excellent for June's character because she kind of explored that more in detail. Um, you know, how the presidency always took precedence over mm-hmm. her professional aspirations, how it interfered with what her professional goals were, how she was always kind of second to what was going on with the election cycle and whatnot. And mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was really good, um, how the author kind of wove that in, how, um, you know, the the I don't know if anybody really thinks of the first family as being kind of shafted in all this, but they kind of are. Yeah. You know, you, you think about it and you think about, um, you know, children of the president, their whole life is defined by what their parents does by what Mm -hmm. the president their father so far maybe eventually in the future their mother um in this book their mother does you know and so it's um you know their their identity is kind of wrapped up in that and they can't really distance themselves from that and that was a really interesting arc for june i think was kind of bringing that out how she couldn't really forge her own identity or go ahead with her own professional development because it was so wrapped up in everything to do with what her mother, the Madam President, was doing. 
Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. And I don't think that's anything that the average American thinks about when they think about the president. Um, I think um, with George Bush and his two daughters, George. He H- has two daughters. George I didn't even know w. he had Bush. two daughters. Yeah, Jenna, and I forget the other one's name. Um, the like, only ones I can think about are Obama's children. That's it. Well, I, so, I, like, I think George Bush and then George W. Bush and then um, Obama's were probably Sasha and Malia. Like, they were, like, superstars because the, the father and mother were such superstars. I do remember George W. Bush's daughters because um, George W. Bush formed such an important sort of cornerstone of my own political understanding and cognizance because he was the president when we were all living through September 11th and I was in high school and quite excuse me impressionable and following the whole travesty very closely it it impacted me quite deeply so I got really into um, knowing more about George W. Bush but then certainly everything ratcheted up quite a lot with Sasha Malia because I think everyone looked at Barack Obama and Michelle Obama as these sort of celebrities more than just a political figure too and fashion icons as well and so they were quite um, analyzed and followed in every way and I, I think usually they in the past they tried to leave the children alone you know and let them grow up and figure things out but with Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, I, d- I think their two girls were like not given that same courtesy in a lot of ways. And then this story sort of um, follows on from that and, and kind of demonstrates the same thing. Whereas Alex and June are both college age. So they're kind of adults at this point. So they can handle themselves a little bit more. Thankfully, they're not going through their teenage years under the you know, under the magnifying lens of the press. Um, but they've kind of embraced it, which is cool because they're like in control of it. But they're also going out and drinking and partying quite a lot. Um, a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I think social it- media has had a lot to do with that perception as well. Yeah, you're right. And they use it throughout um, to illustrate their friendships. So Alex and Henry, when Alex is staying at Kensington Palace and uh, they both are up sort of in the middle of the night and Henry comes to Alex's section of the palace and goes into the kitchen to find Cornetto some ice cream. Um, They sort of run into each other. And so Alex you know, takes a picture of the Cornettos with Henry's hand and his signet ring, ring in it and, like, posts it to Twitter or something. So it it's quite cool. I think I've noticed this a lot with more modern books is in addition to the text of the book, they build out visuals and formatting to reflect text exchanges via the phone and emails as well. Mm-hmm. And social media, which I think is cool because, you know, that's the reality of our current life. So Mm -hmm. it would feel strange not to reflect it there. Um, But anyways, 
I feel like going down, oh, you know, a rabbit hole I didn't necessarily want to go down. So <laughs> anyways, you want to talk about um, kind of how their relationship evolves? Sure, yeah. So they, um, Alex falls into the cake at the, at Philip's wedding. $75,000 cake just demolished because Alex is like wanting to know why Henry's been such a prick and of course he's been drinking <laughs> and so they end up in this scuffle and they fall into this cake and so to save face because this is a very public very global viewed event um, Zora's like you're going to do this and I don't care what you think about the Prince of England you're going to look at him every time the photographs are on you, every time the camera points at you, you're going to act like sunshine shines out of his dick. And <laughs> oh, so, she does say that. And that was like, that was amazing. <laughs> and um, anyway, she's like, you guys are going to be bros and you're going to make this like the best bromance in the history of the world, basically. And so anyway, they, they kind of... Um, they go back and forth to these like uh events. events. Mm. Uh Alex flies to the UK. Um, and I think one of their first encounters is at this children's hospital. Mm-hmm. And uh Alex is wandering through the hospital with Henry, and Henry says something about Star Wars. There's like a sick little girl with cancer or something like that, and he mentions to the little girl that Luke Skywalker is his favorite character because um, it proves that it doesn't matter who your family is. If you're just true to yourself, everything will work out. And that's a theme in the entire book. It's like, doesn't matter who your family is. If, Of course, you know, in the context of the quotes, it, it was talking about Darth Vader being an evil guy. But in the context of the book, it was talking about like if you're the son of the president or you're the heir to the throne of England, it like it doesn't matter who your family is. If you're true to yourself, then everything's happily ever after. That becomes a theme in the entire book through this first kind of thing they do together. Um, yeah, and Alex, quote unquote, Alex, frenemies. <laughs> Alex sees it, and it's the moment where he starts to realize that. Henry isn't this rubbish that he thought he was. That he he's was, more than a person. He's more than just this superficial, yeah. beautiful, self-obsessed person that he saw, started to sort of project onto Henry. He's mm-hmm. real. He has depth and he has um, complexity to them, which was one of the things I really like about the story is the complexities of the characters and how many layers they have to them. It's really well done. I think but yeah but yeah that's that's kind of a turning t- turning point for Alex in terms of his perception kind of, of Henry. like, like the it's like of it's like the yeah. chipping the ice a little yeah. bit um and then I want to talk about the the closet the the whatever thing so something happens they hear like a big pop and they're like they oh my gosh a, like a shot or like a firearm something like that and then like the secret service like pushes them into this closet Cash shoves them into a a broom closet (laughs) so like alex is it alex falls on top of henry is that right yeah and so they're like in this tiny dark little closet and they're like squished together um and it's just a really funny moment because they're in this hospital 
and yeah they can't see each other and like Alex just saw this tender moment between Henry and this little girl and like they're just kind of like waiting for the danger to pass or whatever and it's a fun it's very tropey but it's funny and it's I don't know if it's tropey it's pretty tropey anytime you write romance there's gonna be some sort of that's why we read it yeah we we love the tropes that that's what brings us back if you didn't use tropes then the couple would never have gotten together they would have said this is stupid sod off and i'm gonna go live (laughs) my life on my own exactly there's no avoiding it and i thought it was kind of this moment as you're saying sort of forcing them like we've seen in so many rom-coms before like forcing them into this intimacy like physical Mm -hmm. intimacy but also emotional intimacy because they have like a chat while they're stuck there together yeah and it kind of forces them to like acknowledge that each other is like a human being with feelings and personality and we're not just what the tabloids you know say they are or like their misconceptions of each other has been for the last several years it just kind of forces them into this moment of like you know acknowledging the other person that they have feelings and that they're real people instead of this caricature basically that they've had up in their minds and it's it's a great starting point for their relationship and it just kind of goes from there um there's a number of events that they have to go to, go to together to um have this to to keep up this facade of like we're actually friends quote unquote and they start exchanging text messages because mm-hmm. um you know that's part of the whole PR thing like to to save face over the cake getting smashed uh, is they have to like text each other and like appear at these events together to show that there's um you know friendship between the UK and the United States that were not really like butting heads or whatever. It's very political, but it's also very personal and it's so much fun. Do you want to talk about the turkeys? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember exactly how this works together, but um, so after the hospital moment within the broom closet, um, Alex comes back home and he is i think it's it's around thanksgiving it might mm-hmm. be the same night where they have to pardon the turkeys for thanksgiving yeah and and there's a moment where oscar is his, his dad yeah um offers to campaign with ellen the president in her which is um, weird why yeah. would your ex-husband offer to do that i don't remember he, any ex-wives of any presidents offering to do that well she was something i think they allude to him still being kind of in love with her which you know she's she's amazing so who wouldn't be but um they end up in this big <laughs> fight where um you know he's offering to do that and she's like i don't need your help and i don't want to remind people i'm divorced because that hurts my ratings um and then the competition the the you know the other candidate is this guy richards who's you know the republican candidate and so anyways they end up with this big fight um oscar and ellen and alex goes to his room and i think that's when he's got the turkeys he's keeping so he learns that the turkeys are actually 
set up in this hotel room that costs like thousands of dollars yeah. of taxpayer money and he's like that's stupid and ridiculous like you're put them in my room you're, you're misusing um taxpayers dollars yeah to, to pardon these fucking turkeys he's like put them in my room and like his mother's like no we're not gonna do that he's like put them in my room put them in my room put them in my room <laughs> and he's like super annoyingly insistent and, and he so puts, she, and they're in the room, and, he, and then she's she annoyed about it. Yeah. yeah, he's terrified of them. He's like, oh, they're dark, soulless eyes. Like they're terrifying. <laughs> they're gonna gobble me up in my sleep. It's hilarious. And then, he, then he calls Henry, and that's like a turning point. Another yeah. turning point of their relationship is like he reaches out to Henry, and it's the middle of the night in England. It's three a.m. Yeah, and he like calls him and then like talks to him about that, and then they just start like connecting and building rapport and having this relationship where they talk to people, talk to each other about things like that, and it's hysterical because it feels like how you would talk to someone if you were that age, and you know, reaching out and just like being very vulnerable but also hysterical about what's going on with your life you know this kind of yeah. levity to the moment yeah part of what one of the many things I love about this book is the language um that they use that is very reflective of how I think young people actually talk um and just saying young people makes me feel quite old but it's fine um so Henry um, is invited to the White House trio's um, New Year's Eve party, which is something that they internally call the legendary Bowls Out Bananas White House trio New Year's Eve party. It's actually called something like Young Americans, blah, 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 New Year's Eve party. But I like legendary Bowls Out Bananas better. So we're going to stick with that. So he invites um, Henry and they come and it's wild. You know, they're drinking like crazy. June, Nora, I think B is there. Is B there? Beatrice? Um, Maybe not. Mm -mm. Too much drinking and she's, she's staying sober. So I think Pez is there. So Pez is, is Henry's friend whose name is actually Percy, but he goes by Pez. And I think he's, oh, he's obsessed with June. And he's obsessed with June immediately. And he's mm -hmm. like this quite cool, very relaxed, like not worried about, you know, he doesn't have this like toxic masculinity. He's very like, I'm stylish. I don't care what your sexual orientation is. I'm into it and I appreciate beauty no matter where I see it. And he he has these um these um philanthropic um efforts that he does where it's like shelters for um lgbtq youth um that he and henry work together on and so he just seemed like the coolest guy ever and he's immediately like enchanted by june um and so they have this wild party and then at some point henry disappears oh and it's at the white house by the way and henry disappears and so Alex is like, where did he go? Like, we're friends. I thought we were having fun. Where did he go? So he goes outside in the rose garden and he finds him standing there. And he's like, what? Like, what are you doing out here? And he basically, they have this chat and he eventually 
is like Henry just smashes his face to Alex and kisses him. <laughs> it is such a weird moment. Because it's like this, like, oh, where the fuck are you doing here? And then Henry just, like, grabs him and just, like, kisses him. And it's just like this. <sighs> and it's like, oh, shit, it's about yeah, it's like to it's go going down. down. Yes. And then, like, but, like, Alex is, like, frozen and he doesn't know what to do. Well, and it, then, like. I think it's it's cool because Alex, like, he doesn't know he's bisexual at that point. Like, he hasn't acknowledged. That's hilarious, too. And he he's he's still like not a product of this toxic masculinity where it's like ew don't touch me even though internally like maybe he enjoyed it in the moment he's like wow and he's like kissing him back and then henry like runs away he pulls pushes off and then he just like walks away yeah and alex classic bond fuck yeah and like alex was like that was hot why did he go away we need to talk about this yeah um, and so I, I like that it wasn't like that sort of cliche moment where he's like trying to shut down that part of himself instead he's like acknowledging it and trying to work through it which was quite nice and more yeah. positive Definitely. and then and then like henry like disappears like leaves immediately and kind of ghosts him for a little while and that's the point in which Alex starts to explore what it means for his identity and his sexuality. And I think it's really funny because at some point, like, he's trying to figure out what it means. And he reads a pamphlet on bisexuality that his mother's campaign had developed. And I just thought it was so funny. Like, you know, you know, obviously being the the son of the actual president who was in charge of this campaign and he's using the the collateral from the campaign to understand his sexuality, which was just so funny. Um, And then as he's sort of figuring this out, he tells Nora, and Nora is bisexual herself, so she's just Mm -hmm. like chill, just like cool. But she kind of already knew Henry was gay. Wait, is it Nora or June? I thought June... Nora definitely knew because they're at her apartment or wherever. Some, some, because June is the one who was like, Hey, I've still got that magazine from like a long time ago where you were 12 and you were like so, fondling the yeah, magazine with June, Henry on it. June knew how she, how Alex felt because of what you're saying. Like, she knew about him putting his greasy fingerprints all over her magazine, but Nora knew Henry was gay. She she knew, you know, I don't know if it's appropriate to say, but like he was on her gaydar, you know, um, <laughs> and I don't know if she necessarily knew Alex was bisexual. But when he told her, she was just like, oh, that's wonderful. Like, you know, very supportive, very. Chill. Yeah. And it was lovely. And then um, <clears throat> from there, he calls Liam, who's the guy from high school in Texas that you were yeah. talking about. And was like, so just wondering. Because it briefly, yeah, so it briefly talks about like their backstory and like some of the bro, quote unquote, bro things that they did, like experimentation, like snuggling and like whatever in high school. And it was so funny in the audiobook because he gave this, the narrator gave this like super thick 
country redneck accent to his friend Liam. <laughs> oh my god, it was so funny. He was like, Alex, I don't know what like you think we were doing in high school, but it was super gay. <laughs> Well, in this moment when he calls him, isn't he sitting there at lunch with his boyfriend? Yeah. So he's like, like, I'm not doing this with you right now. Yeah. So I guess Alex kind of like, without realizing it in high school, led Liam on because Liam was like, definitely gay. And Mm -hmm. Alex thought they were just cool buddies or whatever he was and like so, it doesn't mean anything we just made out you know no big right, deal right like whatever we're bros we're just having fun and so he really hurt Liam's feelings and before the kiss that that before Henry kissed him he didn't really think about it and so like now that Henry's kissed him he's got all this like thoughts in his head like wait a minute like what does this mean I enjoyed this like what's that mean for my sexuality like what am I attracted to and then he starts thinking about Liam his high school friend and like some of the shenanigans or whatever that they did in high school so he's he's trying to call his friend and he finally gets a hold of him and his friend is has been hurt over this for a while now and he's just like hey man like I'm I'm really sorry about what happened you know but I'm trying to figure all this out. And his friend is just like, bro, I don't know what you think is going on right now. What we did in high school, that was super gay. <laughs> <laughs> and then Alex starts, oh, English Go accent. Ahead. American accent. Just don't come back. No, come back. Okay, so Alex starts to realize like maybe he, he hurt Liam a little bit. Yeah, I, oh God, this whole bottle. I think <laughs> I've got, I've still got this much left. How much hold have on, you hold got on. left? How, I've got this much. Is that how much you've got? I think we're pretty close. We're so even right now. This is insane. Yeah. We're just on the same um, vibe, I guess. We're anyway. on the same vibe. Yeah, so, so Alex is like, everything in his past is put in new... Uh, light because of what he's understanding about himself now so it's really cool how she captures I shouldn't say she um they capture sort of Alex's journey and and self-discovery um and he's really kind to himself which is lovely because so often it's just based in shame and wanting to hide and just very toxic to your mental health and things like that and Alex is like very honest with himself very kind to himself and he tells Nora and Nora's very receptive and then he goes on this journey of further self-discovery and he just knows that all he wants to do is find Henry again and see him and he's very much attracted to him very driven by this need to jump Henry's bones like mm-hmm. straight up and so well, the next the next I, should, I guess first. I shouldn't say straight straight up gay up <laughs> maybe <laughs> not at first like he's trying to figure out 
like if he's gay or bi or like what's going on with him. So he goes and talks to his friend Luna, who's also a Democratic senator. Oh, no, he's an independent senator or House representative or something. I don't remember exactly what Luna is, but Luna is gay. Yeah. So he goes and talks Raphael to Raphael his... Luna and he's That's... from Colorado and he's yeah. a senator. Yeah. So he goes and talks to him and Luna is like, dude, like, what's your problem? Like, you need to keep this under wraps, you know, like, um, you know, you haven't come out, like, you know, you, you like women still, like, you should just, you know, not talk about this because this is going to ruin your political career, basically. And Alex is like, I don't think so. Like, if, if like, I'm not going to be happy unless it's him. Mm-hmm. And at this point in the story, which maybe we've skipped ahead a little bit, but Luna has actually switched sides politically. Yeah, I don't um, think we've gotten there quite yet because there's, not quite yet. There's the but, state dinner and there's a polo match, and then June finds out before like there's he overhears this weird exchange between his dad and Luna where he just. He's not really yeah. aware, but that's his kind of dad the is like pressuring Luna to like reveal something for political gain, and Luna's like, "No, I'm not going to do it." And so there's like this, this like um, thought in the back of the reader's mind, like, "Oh, there's a secret here on the, you know, he's got some dirt on the other party." And immediately. My thoughts went to Luna's in a relationship with Richards, and Richards mm. is the Republican candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, or they had had a relationship before because in the book, Richards is running on these conservative family values, you know, heterosexual, all that kind of, you know, conservative rhetoric. So at the state dinner, um, Alex overhears his father, Oscar, talking to Luna about outing Richards on something and so my head immediately went to okay Luna and Richards had a had a relationship at some point or Richards is actually gay and he's like hiding it or something like that and um I don't know how this tied into what we were talking about before but (laughs) well we were were talking about Luna and how you sort of processed this weird exchange between Oscar and Luna because it wasn't clear what was going on because Alex couldn't understand it it was just like this weird sort of vibe we know something's going on yeah and they're speaking in Spanish to each other and they're just like you know in this weird room um in the I think in the White House where Mm -hmm. he, he hears them like when he's outside so um anyway in the midst of that and this whole campaign drama um Alex is making way more excuses to see Henry because he invite he's been invited to the state dinner and he basically uses Zora to get Henry into the red room which sounds kinky it um, does. 
and they make out against this image of Alexander Hamilton, which is hysterical. Hilarious. <laughs> which, if you don't know anything about Alexander Hamilton, <laughs> there's a lot of evidence to suggest that Alexander Hamilton... Hamilton. Oof, I can't talk now. It's the Prosecco talking. It's the Prosecco. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that Alexander Hamilton might have been homoerotic or at least like what's the other term not necessarily bisexual but like homosocial that's it Mm. at a minimum homosocial with his friend john what's his name it's just hysterical to imagine these two making out in the white house john lawrence that's it lawrence lawrence john lawrence Against a painting of Alexander Hamilton, who was at least, as you're saying, homosocial. At a minimum. At a minimum. Homosocial. And they know this from letters passed back and forth between them. It's funny you say that because during the course of the book, a large part of it is Henry and Alex corresponding via email. And and Henry likes to pull excerpts from love letters or just correspondence that often is between two men mm-hmm. or, you know, like hidden gay relationships and just kind of that perspective that maybe at the time, you know, people just thought that was how they talked or whatever, but now given a new perspective it's like these people these two men were were in some type of relationship i think even he points out that a former king fell in love with a knight i think it was james the first who fell in love with the knight made him a gentleman of the bedchamber which was a real title like saucy very (laughs) saucy so it was cool because like you're saying there's that correspondence which is the record of their relationship and through understanding and analyzing that correspondence we can understand the nature of their relationship and that's similar to these emails between henry and alex which are so romantic and they're so romantic but also sexy sexy. i'm just like reading these and i'm like Oh, can I get a letter like Has that? Has anyone ever Damn. written you a love letter like that? No. No? You should ask oh, Eric oh. to write you a love letter. I should. We actually got a, um, I got him, actually, a hundred dates little thing. It's like a little scratch off. It's got like a hundred different dates on it. So when you do one together, you scratch it off. Like and ideas. write each other a love letter is one of the items on there. So yeah, I'm gonna um that will be fun. I'll, I'll kind of like push him in the direction of red, white, royal blue for these love letters. <laughs> that might be fun. I love that. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we've seen a comedy show together. That's our first one that we've marked off. It was funny because like we were looking at the list of a hundred dates. And there's a lot of them that we've already done, like volunteer together or like donate blood together or whatever together. There's a lot of weird things on there that we've already done, which is funny. 
Can um, you scratch them off retroactively, or do you have to? We do decided them again? not to. Uh, we're just going to do it again. Well, that's lovely. Uh, take some of the fun out of it. <laughs> yeah, that's that. I think that's lovely. Yeah, you have to work we get a relationship, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Six glasses of prosecco, and yeah. yeah. Is that what we're on? I, I don't know. know. I just made it up. We might Anyways. be. I lost count. Join us next week for part two of Red, White, and Royal Blue. We're revealing our core ratings, and you don't want to miss this one, mates. Buzz off. Follow us on Twitter at BuzzedBritCast. And you can follow us on Instagram at BuzzedBritBookClub. And email at BuzzedBritBookClub at gmail.com.